Hello everyone, uh, welcome to SolveCast, the news that solves. My name is Morten Seger and I'm here today with two very interesting guests uh, from the East Coast, from Florida, Cynthia Boutot and Jonathan Hawk. But I'm going to give the two of you the chance to quickly introduce yourself. Cynthia, why don't you go ahead? Sure, and thank you so much. We're so happy to be here. I am president of a company called Space Commerce Matters. We focus on the commercialization of low Earth orbit, which we'll be talking a little bit, bit about today. And prior to that, I was part of the team that helped establish or stand up the ISS, the International Space Station National Lab, uh, and working with lots of different types of entities, bringing them to the International Space Station to do research, development, and manufacturing. Excellent. Jonathan, how about you? I'm Jonathan Volk. I'm the Director of Commercialization Strategies at Space Commerce Matters. I also worked previously at the uh, International Space Station National Lab. I've been with the SCM group for about uh, two and a half years, and I'm based in Central Florida, just a little bit south of Cape Canaveral. So I can see on a clear night some, some nice rocket launch. That's, that's really, really cool. And everything you've been saying so far is absolutely exceptional. I'm sure most of our listeners will be, wow, you guys are working on the ISS. This is incredible. Um, this is at least how I am personally feeling. Can you talk a little bit about your company, Space Commerce Matters? What are you guys doing? How did you come up with this idea? I think probably everybody that's listening right now is hearing lots about space. You hear about these SpaceX launches. You're hearing about NASA's intention to go to the moon and Mars. We've been seeing these incredible videos uh, and hearing recordings of the Mars activity. But what we're not hearing about is the other side, the demand side of the equation. So there's been this traditional focus on the supply side in the space industry, building those rockets, building the infrastructure. And what we have spent our time doing at Space Commerce Matters is translating the phenomena of space, the microgravity, the extreme conditions, and the vantage point to what does that mean to a non-traditional space end user in the pharmaceutical, in the biotech, in the consumer product, in the industrial, in the semiconductor, and the, the communications world? And what we have found is there are lots of applications, and we have worked with lots of companies, both big, Fortune 500, as well as startups, bringing their cutting-edge research or manufacturing to space so that they could actually achieve higher quality products, better performance products, novel materials, and just, you know, sort of an increased R&D throughput for their terrestrial footprint. Uh, very interesting. I mean, I'm myself an economist by training, but thinking about supply and demand when coming to space is something I would have not necessarily thought about. How did you come up with this, this, this it's, really interesting It's so question. funny that you say that because I my uh, background is also as an economist and in new market creation. Mm -hmm. So I was working in the UK and Russia and across Europe doing new market creation and sort of commercialization of new technologies. And when they asked me to come over to CASIS, the Center for the Advancement of Science and Space, to start this International Space Station National Lab, that's exactly the way I thought about it. Low Earth orbit is about 250 miles above us. It's where the International Space Station orbits. It's where the majority of our satellites are. 
But to me, I thought about it just as another marketplace. So instead of, you know, traveling across the ocean or across the country to conduct outsourced manufacturing or outsourced R&D, we think about it as just going above us, 250 miles above us. It's, it's a different ride. You're taking a rocket, not, you know, a truck. And you're actually achieving superior research and development and manufacturing by doing that. But it's exactly as you said, there's no marketplace that can exist with just one side of the equation, either the supply side or the demand side. You need to put both together. And that's really what we focus on, the programming that can bring supply and match it with demand. You talk about R&D, but maybe you can give us an example how that how the low earth orbit research is, is helping us on earth or is there just something very futuristic once we all live on mars because we have to we will understand what we can and can't be doing can you talk sure. a little bit more and about i think it's both yeah I, and i'll start and then jonathan why don't you get some really good examples as well but if if you look at the activity right now of what's happening in low earth orbit you're seeing creation of novel materials and better manufacturing processes. We're seeing many, if not most, of the pharmaceutical companies going up to space to do crystallization for better drug uh, development and delivery systems. We're seeing accelerated disease models. We're looking at very accelerated degradation testing. If you go outside of the International Space Station, what may take decades to degrade could take weeks or months in low earth orbit because what you have is radiation, atomic oxygen, heat and cold cycling, debris impact. So it's a very accelerated environment for these types of tests to happen and you know in solar panels or in some of these other construction materials where you need to understand how they're performing. We're seeing lots of activity in crop science, looking at vertical agriculture or water management. And Jonathan has been doing a lot in the physical sciences and in some of these manufacturing areas. So Jonathan, why don't you give a few of your examples? Sure. And I think the important thing, Morton, all this is you'll see that people are utilizing space for benefit on earth. When people think space for space, that's obviously important. But a lot of these um, industries are really understanding the benefits of space to improve their product or their processing down on Earth. So a couple of good examples are actually a small startup based in the Northeast wants to utilize electro deposition to make retinal implants. And they found through some R&D testing initially on the space station that those can be made much more effectively without fewer defects. So they perform better. A lot of times in materials, even when you get down to a very molecular level, defects cause bad materials and hence bad products. So this company has now done several iterations of experimentation and shown that, that microgravity does help make a better implant. And they've been very successful in getting follow-on funding to help potentially make those, those implants on a larger scale. To, and obviously that makes a big impact for people who have various significant eye diseases. Other things are, uh, Cindy mentioned semiconductor companies are looking at manufacturing wafers because obviously, you know, on earth we have these clean rooms where they're very concerned about defects and, it, and you have to scrap a wafer if, if it's not made right. So obviously the risk goes down with the risk of defects and microgravity going down. So you're looking at semiconductor companies potentially utilizing space for initially R&D, but then eventually a pathway to manufacturing. Uh, and we're also seeing some large, well-known companies utilizing space for R&D, like Procter & Gamble wants to utilize space to help improve 
the shelf life of their various products, they last long. You don't have to scrap them as fast. Goodyear is looking at how silica forms in microgravity, which is used in rubber, it makes their tires. So potentially they can make a more a safer, fuel efficient, better performing tire. Uh, another example is Delta Foss is looking at flow out of their shower head so they can maximize uh, the feel of, of maximizing the use of water without feeling like you're, you're actually taking as much. So that's obviously good for energy efficiency, water conservation, and also energy conservation by limiting the amount of heat that's needed in the water. So those are some tangible examples, and these are products and processes that a lot of people use every day in their lives. It's really benefiting from um, these companies going to space for R&D and manufacturing. Brands. That's absolutely incredible. I'm just worried about pricing. How much would it cost for someone like a faucet company or a startup to actually bring their product up to space and then have experts tested on up there? Is that something that is right now out of the ordinary high, which I'm assuming might be wrong. And how would it look down the line if there's more commercial spacecrafts coming up, uh, more opportunities, uh, more countries launching rockets? Is that something the price will go down? And then that leads also to the question of production. You mentioned the production of semiconductors. I can see other companies wanting to produce in spaces. Is that something that's feasible at this point? Or is a really clean, clean, clean room still for years to come the, the norm? That's a great question. And that's that's definitely your economist background coming through there. So, you know, for, for a long time, really the only game in town for low Earth orbit was the International Space Station. And, you know, it, it is expensive to fly rockets back and forth to the International Space Station. But what we have been seeing are trends where launch costs are coming down. We're seeing advances in technology which are enabling this. We've all heard about Elon Musk and what SpaceX did with its rocket, that first stage where the rocket goes up to the International Space Station. That first stage, which is worth about $6 million, comes back down and lands on Earth. It started, I think, landing. The first one was on a barge in the ocean, and now they're landing right back on Earth. So they're reusable. So There's a lot of trends. We're seeing a proliferation of spaceports throughout the country. And we are, to your point, seeing many new alternatives to the International Space Station. We're seeing satellites being equipped with research development and manufacturing capability. We're seeing new transportation systems being developed. And we're seeing lots of investment. So, you know, yes, you can still go to the International Space Station today, and it's still pretty highly subsidized by the government. You know, that rocket ride up, that, you know, time with the astronaut acting as your technician, basically, for lack of a better word, and then the rocket ride down. If you're going through the national lab, the transportation is fully subsidized. And so what you're really paying for are the services, the the interfaces and the translation of what it takes to change what you do on the ground, to translate it to how it's going to be done in space and using those facilities or that piece of equipment to actually get it done. So, you know, those are not million dollar price tags. Those are hundreds of thousands of dollars of price tag. And when you look at the value and the outcome, the impact of this activity, you know, what we're seeing are business cases are closing. That superior research and development you're doing, that superior manufactured product will justify that type of pricing 
And I think that's going to continue as we go forward with the, like I said, the proliferation of all of the, the assets in low earth orbit that are going to be able to accommodate your research development and manufacturing. We're seeing a lot of these companies, at least in the, in the recent years, willing to put in more and more of their own investment into these projects or technology demonstrations. We've seen a growth in that. So Jonathan, you've also mentioned that production. Is that something mm -hmm. that we will see within, I mean, the next five to 10 years, or is this something that 30 years down the line or maybe never will happen or, I don't know, 10 generations down the line? No, is there, do you have a timeline on that maybe? And granted too, from a practicality standpoint, mm -hmm. you're looking at, you want to have an, a good economic model. You're actually, if you are going to do mass production of something, it's got to be, you know, from a volume and mass standpoint. So obviously, like I mentioned, semiconductors are fairly small. Retinal implants are very small. You're probably at least not right away going to be able to manufacture entire rocket in space. But but I, we think you know, in the work we've done, you know, there are, as Cindy mentioned, these other options aside from the ISS that are going to be launching free flyers in the coming years, where there's going to be a very near-term trajectory to larger scale manufacturing. In some of these manufacturing methods, there need to be proof of concept. Through the research done on the ISS, some of that has already been done. There's been initial evidence showing that manufacturing materials using certain methods can be done better in microgravity. So they're a little more farther up on, on the trajectory. But you know, I would say within a handful of years, we can ramp up to, to full-scale manufacturing, You know, obviously relatively um, modest volume size products. But again, these, these products like semiconductor wafers and, and other medical devices, et cetera, are very, very valuable. So there's going to be a strong economic model for that. But I would think it'd be, we're not talking decades, we're talking, I would think by the end I mean, of this yeah, decade. The, the new transportation systems are coming online 2022, 2023. We're going to have a new space station module in 2024, 2025. So these are all like, in essence, your new factory. And that's the terminology that we're hearing now with these new players. They're not they're not thinking about a research platform like what the ISS is really known for. They're producing factories in space. And as Jonathan mentioned, we're talking two to four years for that to be fully up and running. This is, uh, to me, completely unfathomable. The, the future is here. This is absolutely incredible. This has been extremely interesting and eye-opening. I cannot wait to see where this is going. Obviously, uh, space industry is, is of interest to everyone, and you've shown us today how important it is. Well, thank you so much, and we hope to have you in the future again, and best of luck with everything. Thank you so much. Thanks, Martin. Thank you.